Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <laughs> had that on my mind, verse 11 through 15. We're going to continue in our little series. We've been talking about how to live without losing heart. And today we're going to talk about what's involved in living the life of faith. Now, this whole series began in verse 1 of chapter 4 as we're working our way through 2 Corinthians, and it was talking about losing heart. <clears throat> verse 1 says in chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Now, maybe you've been on vacation. You haven't been with us during this series. Maybe <clears throat> you're visiting today, and you don't really know what do you mean, Wayne, by losing heart. And this is very important. Losing heart, yes, it's acquainted with faint-heartedness or growing weary, but in the Greek, it means that a person has changed. He stopped trusting God. Something's happened. Something in his life has overwhelmed him or deceived him, and he's gone back to doing things his own way. It was the word used of a soldier in battle who would turn coward and go back. It's not a good thing. And all believers have been there. For example, it's when a believer is so overwhelmed with the events happening in this world that instead of praying, instead of trusting that God is faithful and that God is in control, the world is not falling apart, it's coming together. And what happens is they, they let go and they let their own fears cause them to grow weak and faint-hearted, and prayerlessness begins to show up in their life. <clears throat> this past week with the London bombings, it reminded all of us of 9-11. And then we also have the hurricanes that are coming in, and people are getting a little bit antsy, and they're saying, what's going on in this world? Is it really falling apart? No, it's not. <clears throat> but when a person lets that overwhelm them and overcome them, They've lost heart. That's why they're weak, and that's why they're afraid, and that's why they are depressed. Well, it's when a believer allows the world to influence his thinking. He, he gets to the point that he thinks that as he was successful in the world in business, he can certainly be successful in ministry, and he tries to do ministry in his own flesh and in his own power, and as a result, he burns out. We saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. It's when a believer allows his own fears about what others will say about him or what they may do to him to keep him from sharing the precious message of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to other people. <clears throat> and he grows weary and he loses heart 
and he begins to, to show the results of that in his life. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 16. <clears throat> it's when he grows weary, waiting on God. You know, sometimes uh, people have told me all of my life, God is slow, <clears throat> but he's never late. He's slow in my mind, but not in his. Time is of no essence to him. And when we grow impatient, <clears throat> we've done the right thing, we've asked God, we've trusted God, he is faithful, but nothing's happening. Nothing's happening that we believe God is doing <clears throat> in our life. And so, therefore, we take matters in our own hands, and we try to produce the results ourselves. That's what it means to lose heart. We saw that in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> it's when a believer becomes so distraught at life, so overwhelmed that's what's going on, that he becomes disillusioned and grows irresponsible <clears throat> in the normal, everyday responsibilities of life. He has lost heart. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you doing? How many, I wonder, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many are here today that have lost heart. You flat out lost heart. Maybe it's an illness. <clears throat> Maybe it's something else that's happened in your life, but you have just flat out just given up. You see, you don't have to live that way. You can walk by faith, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. In part one of this little mini-series of, of, uh, uh, of the symptoms of one who has lost heart, that's the first thing we saw of losing heart. And we just went over those. In part two of the series, we saw the secret of one who has not lost heart. And that was the Apostle Paul himself. In part three of the series, last time we saw that if we're, if we're going to live without losing heart, we're going to have to learn the basics. There are certain basics that if we don't hold on to, it's going to cost us down the road. Just like a coach every season takes those seasoned athletes into the room and he says, this is a football. And they think, what is he doing? And he's starting all over again with the basics. There are certain basics that sometimes we tend to forget and that's why we lose heart. The first basic that we saw was the frailty of our flesh. We've got to understand that living grace, God did not come to renew our flesh. He came to replace it. We've got to understand how weak our flesh is. In verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And that term earthen vessels, as we studied last time, simply means that we're nothing but empty clay pots apart from what God wants to do in our life. We can't. God never said we could. He can, and he always said he would. And the paradox of this is that within these clay pots, the treasure, the Lord Jesus himself, in the person of his Holy Spirit, has come to live in us. Christ lives in us, the frail vessel, the, the empty clay pot. He has come to live in us, to do through us what we could have never done ourselves. You know, I've preached this message, tried to be faithful to it for the last three years and more. I don't know how I can preach it any different. And one of these days, it's, it's just going to be caught. <clears throat> I believe it's, it's taught, but I believe it's caught. And that little chain clicks on, and all of a sudden you realize it's not bad to admit your failure. It's not bad to say, I can't do it. He never said I could. You see, that's what the grace message is all about. We've got to remember the frailty of our flesh. Now, when the treasure is manifested in us, this is a wonderful truth. Christ living his life through us. But the, the downside of that is that we secondly, the second basic we've got to learn is when we start letting that happen, we must expect the fight of our lives. The fact that the world hates Christ is going to hate us, folks. And I, I, this is going to bring a lot of pain because what are we? We're weak vessels, and weak vessels suffer. 
And we're going to suffer as a result of letting Jesus be Jesus in us. But this is a bittersweet truth. The bitter side is the pain. The sweet side is the treasure that lives within us. Paul says in verse 8, verse 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, <clears throat> perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, he uses several words that every weak vessel can associate with. He uses affliction, which is physical, but mainly emotional stress that people put on us when Christ is living through us. He mentions being perplexed. Every one of us have been there at a standstill. We don't know whether to go left. We don't know whether to go right. We don't know what to do. He mentions persecution, which is the same as being hunted down like an animal. He mentions being struck down. And when it's used figuratively, as it is here, it doesn't mean just to be thrown down, because Paul was thrown down many times, but it means to be knocked, somebody trying to knock down what Christ is doing in and through our lives. But like I said, it's a bittersweet truth. That's the bitter side. And folks, there's nobody that's a Christian that's not going to suffer. Uh, people suffer, but we're going to suffer in a different way. We're going to suffer because of Christ, and these things will come into our lives. But the refreshing comfort, the beautiful truth is the treasure lives within us. And so on the one side, the weak vessel is afflicted. But on the other side, the treasure in the vessel causes him not to be crushed. On the one side, the weak vessel is perplexed. But the treasure within him keeps him from being in despair. The word despair means at a total loss. God always shows us the way, even when we're at a standstill. On one side, the weak vessel is persecuted. But on the other side, the treasure within him causes him not to be destroyed. On the one side, the weak vessel is struck down. But on the other side, you see, he's not going to be destroyed. This is a beautiful truth. On the one side, the weak vessel. On the other side, the treasure. And that's a bittersweet truth. But we must expect the fight of our life because we're going to begin to experience the sufferings of Christ. And that's our third basic. We must learn to make sure that our sufferings are not self-inflicted. It's not because we ran our big mouth when we shouldn't have been talking. It's not because we did something stupid and brought the thing in on top of us. It's because of living the life of faith, letting Jesus be Jesus in us, that our suffering should come to us. Suffering will come to you. Suffering will come to me. We don't have to go looking for it. But his sufferings, his sufferings will only come as we allow him to live through us. Verse 10. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. It's so incredible. When we start suffering the right way, and people look at this, and they know us, and they know that we didn't do something wrong to cause that suffering, and they realize that we're trusting God in the midst of it, they begin to connect the dots. And a message that we've been wanting them to hear from our lips, they begin to get it from our life. And all of a sudden, they connect the dots and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's suffering. He, that person is willing to believe even in the midst of pain. And I see now what he's trying to tell me. I see the treasure in the midst of the earthen vessel. And this will deepen the message that we preach and that we share. Our walk will start matching our talk. We'll have more to say than just what comes out of our mouth. And this leads us into today's text. In verse 11 through 15, he shows us what is involved in living the life of faith. Now, we have only two options, lose heart or live the life of faith. There are only two options. You're one side or you're the other. There's no in-between at all. 
But what's involved in living the life of faith? First of all, the painful proof of living the life of faith. In verse 11 and in verse 12. 2 Corinthians 4.11 says, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, if you've read verse 10, now we just read it a moment ago, and, and you're looking at verse 11, you're saying, Wayne, all he's doing is rehearsing what he just said in verse 10. That's correct. But with one little addition. In verse 10, he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. But in verse 11, he says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. We who live. Now, I wonder if you understand that statement. The word live there is in the present tense with the definite article. We who are the living ones. He's categorizing something. Paul, by using the word live, is, just, is not just referring to physical life. The word it's used there is a word that you can use, but it's talking more about that. Uh, we're all, we all are living physically right now, and yes, we will die someday unless Jesus comes first. But the word he uses here for live is zeo, Z-A-O. And zeo uh, can be and is used of physical life, but when it comes to the believers, it, believers live in a very significant and special way. It categorizes a way that a believer lives. Example, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it's the word that is used. For to me, Paul says, to live, zeo, is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Christ is not my motivation. He's not my inspiration. He is my life. And so it's a certain way that we live. Yes, it's physical life, but it's a certain way we live spiritually in the midst of that. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Every one of these words live. But Christ lives in me, Zeo, and the life which I now live, Zeo, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, believers live in a certain significant way, or they're supposed to, and that's the way of faith. Paul is saying, we, the ones who are living the life, we, the ones who are walking by faith, trusting the Christ of the new covenant. Now, if you're living today in the 21st century that way, if you're living and walking by faith, you can identify with Paul. You can say the very same thing, same thing he says, in verse 11, then he adds, for we who live, for we who are living this way are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And that's the painful side of this. The words constantly being delivered over to death means exactly that. Constantly handed over or delivered over to death. Paul was daily under the threat of being executed. He was daily under the threat of being handed over to death, just like the Lord Jesus was when he walked on this earth. In fact, the words delivered over to death is used of Christ when he was handed over or put to, to, to be put to death. It's the word translated betraying in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25. He says, and Judas, who was betraying him, handing him over, delivering him over, said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. It was because of the life of Jesus in Paul 
that caused Paul to be constantly delivered over unto death. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that for sure? Well, he adds, for Jesus' sake. That means because of Jesus, daily he's being handed over unto death. Verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Christ's life in us, if we walk by faith, will be seen, and it will be displayed so that others can see. It's not us. We're just a weak vessel. They see the treasure that is in us. But because others see Jesus displayed in our life, this evokes a hatred in them. The same hatred they had for Jesus when he walked on this earth, they're going to have for you and I. And that's going to be painful. But the proof of our living faith, our living the life of faith, regardless of its consequences, is not just the pain we go through, but the rest of the verse. He says, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, that word mortal means, well, we'll look at it in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so that means in order that. In other words, something's happening as a result of our righteous suffering. Something is happening so that the life of Jesus, the very life of Jesus, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The word manifested means to be put on display so that everybody can see it. Now, Paul rehearses again the treasure, again, as I said, of the earthen vessel. It's through our suffering for the sake of Christ that others are able to see Jesus in us. Now, in other words, when you squeeze somebody with suffering, when you put them in a time of pain that comes as a result of saying yes to Jesus, what happens is what's on the inside comes out. I know many of you in this service remember back when they first came out with the plastic uh, containers that you squeeze to get the mustard out and the squeeze to get the ketchup out. Remember that? And I remember the first when it first came out, I had finished college finally. <laughs> it took me a while to get out of college. I, I love college. I just hated class. And I had a BSU director named Bradley Pope. Can you believe it? We were the only BSU in the country that had a Pope for a director. <laughs> and uh, Bradley was a great guy. And he, Bradley knew me. Bradley knew me. He, he, he believed that I never would get out of college. Well, I finally got out. Several years later, I'm working in a church, and he calls me. And he's still living, and he's still doing BSU work. And he said, Wayne, will you come and do a retreat for a bunch of students here at Mississippi College, a BSU retreat? Will you come and be their speaker? And I said, Bradley, I would love to. That just tickled me to death. Well, we got there. He didn't introduce me or anything. I got there. It was time to eat, and he didn't have time to do that. So he said, Wayne, just get in front of the line. They were having hot dogs that day. And they had those new containers that had mustard in them. And I walked up, and I got my two or three or four or five hot dogs, <laughs> a few. And uh, he, they handed me the mustard to put on it because they wouldn't let you, they didn't have it on the tables. You had to do it right there. So I grabbed that thing. I didn't know you had to untwist the top, you know, to unlock it. So I took that thing, turned it upside down, and went, <laughs> and nothing happened. And I said, you know, I'm not going to be embarrassed in front of all these students that I'm so weak I can't even get the mustard out of one of these containers. And so I'm standing there, and I said, I did it again, and nothing happened. This time, I was really convicted. And I grabbed that thing, and I went, Hwah! and when I did, boom, it just blew up. The lady that was standing there, <laughs> dishing out the had mustard all over her face. It was in her hair. It was dripping off of her glasses. 
And Bradley Pope, standing there, looked around and said, oh, by the way, everybody, this is Wayne. He's going to be speaking for you for the weekend. I found out real quick <laughs> that when you squeeze something, what's on the inside is going to come out. You see, this, this is what Paul is saying. I'm going through the pain of suffering, but what's being squeezed out of me is that the life of Jesus is manifested in the midst of my pain. The word for mortal flesh there. Mortal is the word thanatos. It means that, that is subject to death. We're weak vessels, folks. We are nothing. We're clay pots apart from the treasure that God has put within us. We can die, and we can suffer, and we will have pain. But when we're squeezed, what Paul is saying, the whole proof that we're walking by faith is that what comes out and manifested to everybody so that all can see is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the painful proof, it is painful, because as vessels, we're going to suffer. We're going to be perplexed. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be afflicted. We're going to be knocked down. But the treasure on the other side causes people to see the life that is within us. It'll be evidence when we are squeezed. We will feel the pain, but the world will see the life in the midst of that pain. That's when you know you're living the life of faith. The second thing is the personal privilege of living the life of of faith, the personal privilege. Now, Paul saw this as a personal privilege, and you'll see this in the text. We just saw that he was constantly being delivered over unto death. I want you to know, and I think we understand it better in this service than any other service, that death is stalking every one of us in this place. And at some time, it will conquer its prey. But the death that Paul is talking about is not the natural death that all of us will, will have ahead of us, but he's talking about the death that comes as a result of persecution, a result of people hating the life that is within us. Paul wants us all to know that even death cannot touch the treasure that is within us, the life that is within us. And he says in verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you. Now that phrase, works in us, is in the present tense. Death is constantly working in us. He's already clarified that. He's daily being turned over or handed over to possible death. Uh, people were out to get Paul. It's in the middle voice, which means somebody's enabling this to happen. Uh, people in, were out to get Paul everywhere he'd go. And the sad thing is many of these people who hated Paul because of the Christ in him, lived in Corinth to the people he's writing this epistle. But Paul and his crew had learned to yield their bodies to Christ no matter the cost, even if it be death. Now, this is what you've got to understand, and this is what chapter 5 is all about. There's no fear of death to a believer who walks by faith. But at the same time, there was a divine purpose to their suffering. Now, watch this. The life of Christ in them was seen in the midst of their suffering by the people at Corinth. And they were beginning to catch it. Death works in us, but life in you. Because Paul and his team were willing to die for Christ if need be. They, were, they believed to the point that they were willing to speak boldly the truth. People in Corinth caught that. They saw the treasure in the earthen vessel. The word for life there, life works in you, is the word zoe. 
It's not the word physical life, again. It's the word spiritual quality of life that only Jesus can give. And what he's saying is the believers at Corinth, many of them were catching it. And now they're living that particular life where they are. They saw that Paul was willing to go the distance, even in the valley of the shadow of death, to let that message get out of him. And now it was in them. And they're letting it begin to get through them. Life was working in them. And the result would be that the Corinthians now, in turn, would face the same problem Paul faced. Death would now start hounding them. Because they've seen it in Paul. Paul was boldly willing to share it, even at the expense of death. Now they've caught it. Now they're sharing it. Now others are catching it. And it's a divine cycle. And what a privilege to be in this divine cycle. Paul was willing not only to die spiritually, but to die physically if need be, in order that others might see his Christ's life manifested in him. And the Corinthians saw it. And as they were catching it, as they were gleaning from Paul, now that life is working in them. And now others will see it as they face the same persecution that Paul faced. And what a privilege to be in the long line of people who have believed to the point that they're willing to speak the truth boldly no matter the consequence that may come to them. That divine cycle, you see, didn't start with Paul. It's been going on since God began to draw man to himself. Look at verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed. Now watch carefully. Therefore I spoke. And Paul says, as a result of that, we also believe. Therefore we also speak. And what Paul's doing is reaching back into that long line of people that have done the very same thing. And he quotes from David. And he quotes from Psalm 116, verse 10, where David said, I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And the context of that psalm that you find these words that David said is the impending death coming to David from his enemies. You see, death stalked David just like it stalked Paul, just like it stalked the Corinthian believers, and now just like it stalks us. And in verse 3 of Psalm 116, to show you that, David said, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. But in the midst of that, David believed. Without any fear, he trusted God and therefore spoke boldly. And what Paul is saying is, just like David, he believed, and therefore he spoke. He says, we also believe, therefore we also speak. And you could put in parentheses, even though it's in the face of impending death by people who hate the message that we share. The word believe is the word pistevo, we believe. And we need to get a hold of this in the 21st century. Pistevo it's not something you, just that you comprehend. It's, some people say, I believe that. Do you really? You may comprehend it, but if you believe it, then you have been changed by it. It's somebody who's been so persuaded by what he understands that he's given himself to it, and it has radically changed his life. Belief goes far beyond just mentally comprehending something. If you say you believe something and it has not affected your behavior and how you speak and how you live, you do not believe that. You understand it, but you do not believe it. Paul so believed God that it radically changed his life. 
And in the midst of impending death, death working in him daily, he was willing to speak. Why? Because he believed, therefore he spoke. But what did he believe in the face of death? Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Wow. Knowing is the word edo, E-I-D-O. It means intuitive knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge you ladies have that us men are so jealous of. My wife will say, I just know, I know something. I say, how do you know? She said, I don't know. I just know. Oh, it bugs me. It bugs me. And 99.9% of the time, she's right. It, that just kills me. But she has that intuitive knowledge. That's what the word is. It's not just knowledge that you can learn. It's knowledge that comes by walking by faith. And Paul says we have in our hearts that death is not our enemy, that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, knowing that he who raised Jesus. Now, do you notice in the New Testament, before Jesus went to the cross, it's Jesus Christ. After he goes to the cross, it's Christ Jesus. Jesus expresses his humanity. The word Christ expresses his deity, and his and names are reversed after he is resurrected from the dead. And so he uses the word Jesus. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us and will present us with you. That's the most fascinating truth. I, let me just see if I can get it out like it got in. He's not talking about the event particularly. Don't try to get hung up in that. But it's more than that. He's saying, listen, I'm willing to live the life and I'm going to live the life of faith. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going back to doing things the way I used to do them. I'm going to trust God even in the face of death. I'm not afraid of death because I want you to see the life of Christ in me, not just by what I say, but how I live. And when you catch it, then you'll start living it. And when you start living it, then they'll come after you. And then they'll catch it. And then they'll start living it. And one day when we stand before God, we'll all stand there together. What a harvest that's going to be someday. It only takes one person who believes and is willing, therefore, to speak. And the rest is history. And one day we will see all of those who've been affected and will stand together in glory. It will be worth it all. Let me ask you a question today. Do you believe? Therefore, do you speak? Well, I hear these people saying, let's... let's Wayne, you're not evangelistic enough. Wayne, you need to be more evangelistic. Oh, come on. Evangelism is the natural cause or consequence of an individual who believes. If he believes, therefore he'll speak. The problem is not with the speaking. The problem is with the believing in the 21st century. We don't believe. Why do you know that, Wayne? Because we don't speak. We're not willing to speak in the face of what they may say back to us. We're not willing to speak in the face of what they may do to us when God is so alive inside of us, wanting us to share that message. You can't help but share it. Peter said, we can't help but speak of the things that we've seen and that we've heard. Evangelism is not a program. Evangelism comes from an individual who, like David and who, like Paul, says, we believe, therefore we speak, and we don't care about what the consequences are that may come to this weak body that can suffer. You know, we believe that we're living in bad times. How many of you believe we're living in bad times? Many of you do. Well, let me just tell you what a bad time's like. We haven't got a clue what a bad time is. A bad time to us is when the air conditioning doesn't work. A bad time for us is a lot of things. 
But let me take you back to 258 A.D. Let me show you how bad times can get. This is to believers. This is right out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. When it begins to talk about the different emperors and how over the centuries how they persecuted different ones. And this is about a man by the name of Lawrence. Remember Brother Lawrence and how he was persecuted. And I'm going to take it. It's, some of it's written in Old English, so bear with me. But in 258 A.D., under the cruel reign of the emperor, emperor Valerian, his general, a man by the name of Marcianus, secured permission. Now listen to this. For all of the Christian clergy, anybody who believed, therefore they shared, to be put to death. All of them. Now, that's bad times, folks. We think we're living in bad times. That's bad times. Now, I'm going to read right out of Fox's Book of Martyrs, taken just word for word. And let me get you the story. He says, let us draw near to the fire of martyred Lawrence, that our cold hearts may be warmed thereby. The merciless tyrant, Marcianus, understanding him to be not only a minister of the sacraments, but a distributor also of the church riches, promised to himself a double prey by the apprehension of one soul. First of all, with the rake of avarice to scrape to himself the treasure of poor Christians, and then with the fiery fork of tyranny, so to toss and to turmoil them that they should wax weary of their profession." With furious face and cruel countenance, the greedy wolf demanded where this Lawrence had bestowed the substance of the church, who, craving three days' respite, Lawrence said, give me three days, promised to declare where the treasure might be had. In the meantime, Lawrence caused a great number of poor Christians to be congregated. So when the day of his answer was come, the per persecutor strictly charged him to stand to his promise. In other words, tell me where the money is, the treasure. Then valiant Lawrence, stretching out his arms over the poor congregates that were there, he said, these are the precious treasure of the church. These are the treasure indeed in whom the faith of Christ reigns, in whom Jesus Christ hath his mansion place. What more precious jewels can Christ have? than those in whom he hath promised to dwell. For so it is written, I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And again, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. What greater riches can Christ our master possess than the poor people in whom he loveth to be seen? Oh, what tongue is able to express the fury and madness of the tyrant's heart. Now he stamped, he stared, he ramped, he fared out as one, as one out of his wits. His eyes were like fire glowed, his mouth like a boar formed, his teeth like a hellhound grinned. Now, not a reasonable man, but a roaring lion, he might be called. Kindle the fire, he cried, of wood, make no spare. Hath this villain deluded the emperor? Away with him, away with him, whip him with scourges, jerk him with rods, buffet him with fists, brain him with clubs. Jesteth the traitor with the emperor? Pinch him with fiery tongs, gird him with burning plates, bring out the, the strongest chains and the fire forks and the grated bed of iron. On the fire with it, bind the rebel hand and foot. And when the bed is fire hot, on with him, roast him, broil him, toss him, turn him. On pain of our high displeasure, do every man his office, O oh, you tormentors. 
The word was no sooner spoken, but all was done. After many cruel handlings, this meek lamb was laid. I will not say on his fiery bed of iron, but on his soft bed of down. So mightily God wrought with his martyr Lawrence. So miraculously God tempered his element with the fire that it became not a bed of consuming pain, but a pallet of nourishing rest. In the midst of our suffering, we have the privilege, the personal privilege of believing, therefore we speak. And we're in a long line of people who have been there. Don't you ever think you're living in bad times. We don't know what bad times are. But the, what Paul is saying is just like David spoke when he, he believed, when he was being threatened with death, we believe and we're threatened with death, but therefore we speak. What a privilege. What a privilege. The next time you're in a situation and God wants you to share Christ with somebody and it's burning in your heart and you choose not to do it, just remember what you've just chosen not to do. The problem with us getting the message out is I don't think the message has really deeply sunk in yet within us. We don't believe. We don't really believe. If we believed, we would share, and the world would come to know the message that we have. So what does it mean to live by faith? The, personal, the painful proof is that in our pain, his life will be squeezed out. What's the personal privilege? We believe, therefore we speak, and we're in a long line of those who have done the same. Thirdly, the powerful passion in living the life of faith. In verse 15, Paul says, For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You know what Paul's passion was? Paul's passion, no matter what it cost him, was that everyone be giving thanks to the glory of God. He, he just wanted people to understand the message that had overwhelmed and changed his life. Everything that happened to Paul as a result of living the life of faith was for the benefit of other people. That was his passion. That's the way every one of us ought to live every day of our lives. For all things are for your sakes, he says. All things refers to everything in the context he's talked about, all the suffering that he's been through. And he says, in order that, so that, the grace which is spreading to more and more people. That's Christianity in action. How does it spread? In the midst of our pain, we're willing to share. Why? Because we believe. And that somebody catches that. And then somebody shares it with somebody else. And then somebody shares it with somebody else. That's what evangelism is. It's a message you can't help but share. And more and more and more people begin to see the message of grace. It's spreading and abounding the more and the more. Unashamed to share the message of God's grace so that others might hear and believe it and then they spread it to somebody else. And then what? We're all raised together in one day. You know what? Isn't it going to be a great time when we see Jesus one day? Isn't that going to be awesome? All the times that we were willing to share when we believe, therefore, we were willing to share the, the message that's within us. And in the midst of our pain, people saw the life manifested in us as they did in Stephen when he was stoned to death in Acts. You know, one day we're going to get to see the results of all that. We're not going to see it down here. We're not going to see it down here. Every now and then, God gives us a little glimpse. I remember being in South Africa in Cape Town one time, and they said, Wayne, do you want to go to a precept rally? Because I was with Kay Arthur for 15 years. I was her co-teacher. 
And they said, Wayne, do you want to go to a precept rally? I said, who, me and you? They said, oh, no, Wayne. Your tape's been going over here for five years. You're going to be surprised. I walked in that church, and it was standing room only in a church that would seat about 450 or 500 people. And I stood there for over four hours when people would come by and just tears streaming down their face of how God had used the Word to transform their lives. God gives us a little glimpse just every now and then, just, just to encourage us, just a little glimpse, just a little glimpse. But one day, Paul says, we're going to stand, and we're going to stand together in that great throne of people and we're going to see the people that were influenced because we believed therefore we shared the message that's what it's all about we've come so far from christianity in the 21st century it scares me it's nothing more than an add-on to people's schedule during the week i've had people tell me over the last several years wayne i'll give you one hour a week and that's all you get no they're not telling me they'll give me one hour they're telling god they'll give him one hour it's not a life anymore it's just something that we can manipulate if we don't like it. We'll go to another church. This here church, there a church, everywhere a church, church, and we'll just move around till we find what we're looking for. And it's not a life that is transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Well, folks, we live in a hostile world. If you don't believe that, you start walking the life of faith. You'll find it out. But what a privilege, what a privilege in the midst of the pain to believe, therefore, you'll share and to the people see the life that's in you, squeezed out of you when you walk through those difficult times. And then one day to understand that we'll all stand there together in heaven. The painful proof, the personal privilege, and the powerful passion that only Christ can give to a believer. Let me ask you one more time this morning. Hey, by the way, I get passionate every now and then. That doesn't mean I'm mad. I'm just passionate. Hope you know my heart. I want to ask you a question, though. Have you lost heart? Are you living your life your way? And Christ, every now and then, you add him in. He's kind of like sweet and low. When it's not quite sweet enough, you'll throw a little bit in. Sometimes you get a little too much, and so therefore you back off. Or are you walking by faith? Or are you living by faith? And we see what the Scripture says of what living by faith really is. We who are living the life, that's a special kind of life, trusting God moment by moment. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.